0: Welcome to the False Neutral Podcast. This is episode 77 for May of 2018. I'm Pete, and we've got quite a streak going because all three (laughs) of us are here again. Eric and Garrett, how are you guys doing?
1: Pretty good. Pretty good. We actually have not snow on the ground in
0: Michigan. Nice. We are having a lovely day today, and on Saturday I put up, uh, brought the deck furniture up from the basement and put up the umbrella table, and so it actually feels like spring here. <laughs> Unfortunately, my backyard is still so wet, I only
2: half of it is mowed. Yeah, I mowed my grass yesterday and just got scorched sunburn.
0: <laughs>
2: I, know, I, I forgot what the sun will do to a person, and that happens here in the Northwest. <laughs> yeah. Well, being in the Northwest, you have an excuse for forgetting. Yeah, very true. So Uh, I feel like I should start with a few confessions. Okay. All right. Well, the first confession is that I, the other day, well, I should say about a month ago, I subscribed to the print version of Motorcyclist Magazine and on the confirmation email, you know, they like give you recommendations for other things that you'd want to subscribe to. And then there was one called Hot Bike. And I'm like, I don't know what Hot Bike is. Let me click on this. And it subscribed <laughs> to me. And, and like automatically, like when you click on it, like boom, you're subscribed. Right. Debits your account and everything. Uh, so then I found out that it's like. That's like a Harley um, magazine, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like a meathead Harley magazine. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to any of our listeners who might be a. a Uh, subscriber of Hot Bike Magazine. But it was just not what I was expecting. And so I called to cancel that subscription. And they said that they took care of it, not a problem. And then I started getting Hot Bike magazines. (laughs) And so I'm just going with it. But my confession is, well, one, that I subscribed to Hot Bike Magazine. Number two is that I really want to build a... (laughs) <laughs> harley now <laughs> that is excellent been, that is excellent I, I, i've been looking at rolling chassis and thinking about just buying a buell a complete buell and then buying a rolling chassis and intermixing the parts i think so, that's totally
0: cool totally yes.
2: cool uh so that's that's my first confession uh number 2 is that in about Two hours, I have somebody coming to look at the TX750. Again, for, wow. For purchase. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Now, now the question is, is, is this person understanding of what they're getting themselves into? I'd like the last person.
2: I, I don't know. I have no idea, but you know, the bike. So I'm asking 2000 bucks for it, which for, for everything that's gone into it is like, pennies of what i'm into it i mean i'm probably 500 hours of labor into fixing anything and everything that could possibly be fixed and and it's hard to quantify that in an ad and so like basically like i feel like somebody is is winning the classic bike lottery oh absolutely absolutely you know because they have no idea the efforts that I've gone. And I, I I can't describe that really. You know, like the machine work that I've done to it and everything. Like I don't think anybody could really appreciate what it took to do all that. I mean, I put so many hours into it. And for two thousand bucks, I mean, there is probably no better value in classic motorcycles.
1: So so we need we need to use the um the false neutral love connection here. To get you to get it a good home, and I just thought about this, um, and now I'm going to draw a blank completely on his name right now. Uh, who's Mister Bike Curious? Oh, Abby. Abby, thank you. I kept wanting to say Ernie, but I know I knew that wasn't it. But like, doesn't he know Roland Sands? And like, wouldn't Roland Sands be like the perfect person for the TX 750?
0: Yeah,
2: I don't know about that. Yeah, I no? don't know okay. about that
0: either. No, okay. I <laughs> <Well>, like. <laughs> You know, I'm
1: trying to find it a good home, right? No, or, I or think
0: Abby yeah. would, would be the perfect person to have the TX750. I mean... All right, Abby, and... All right, Abby, <laughs> You're yeah. listening.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, somebody... It, well, it's hard to say what the person is like that's going to come look at it. But um, if a person, like, was dead set on having a classic bike, this one's pretty darn sorted out. For 2000 bucks. I mean, an equivalent condition, equivalent year... CB750 would probably were be worth double or triple oh, yeah. what this bike is. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. So you know, I was just listening to the uh front-end chatter podcast uh yesterday and today uh out of England, and they somebody wrote in and said, Is such and such going to be a future classic? And their comment was if you wait long enough. Everything Mm, will be a future classic. It it Mm -hmm. might take 50 years, might take a hundred years, but the worst motorcycle made in 1912 is still an absurdly expensive, very desirable classic today. So you just have to wait long enough and everything is a classic.
2: Yeah, that's true. Uh, let's see other updates. Um,
0: well, before you do that, I want to, I want to go back
2: to your, your hot bike thing. I have to
0: say, uh, I have kind of a tangential connection to some guys that are serious Harley builders. And that is the big draw about Harleys is it's like playing with Legos. There yeah, no, are exactly. so many aftermarket products out there and so many things interchange that yeah. you can you can literally go go through the uh, I was just thinking today about when i was a kid and i was really into cars and i used to go through the jc whitney catalog trying yeah. to build a car out of all the stuff that they had in the jc yeah. whitney catalog yeah i used
2: to do that too right and and Harley's is it's kind of like the small block chevy engine it's like there's so many parts available for it you can build it in any way that you want and it's relatively cheap to do because there's so many different manufacturers so many competitors of parts um you can just you can, do so much,
1: and you can literally build a Harley Davidson without a single Harley Davidson
2: part. Yeah, yeah, it. that's true. Right. Yep. Um, yeah. So, in you know, I have said many things about Harleys, almost exclusively negative. But <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to bring that up. But but um, one thing that has always appealed to me is um, the aesthetics of the bikes. Nothing else. And so when I build something, it would really just be like a bar hopping kind of just like ride to the neighborhood watering hole, just like kind of to entertain or humor myself every once in a while and really just to look at it Um, and just I've never had a Harley. And I feel like before I rip on them too much, I should at least own one. And I don't think the Buell counts, but uh, and maybe the bike that I build won't count either. Because it'll be ninety five percent Buell, well, uh, and, and not not that I like have to get a Buell. I would probably just assume do a, like a Sportster based thing. Um, but the Buells are so cheap, and it's fuel injected, um, and I I feel like there's a little bit going for it there.
0: Well, I, I have to say that uh, on the topic of Sportsters and Harleys, uh, mm-hmm. on my local Craigslist, somebody posted a. Literal dirty in a barn, uh, 79 Sportster with less than 5,300 miles on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thing that really intrigued me is it has the original 1979 only Siamese exhaust, which is a basically a chrome version of what was on the XLCR cafe racer they used the next year. Cause really the, the 79 Sportsters were the 78 cafe racer. With normal ergonomics and without the little fairing and and fenders on it and stuff like that. So it was the chassis and the running gear were basically the same as the Cafe Racer from the year before. They'd come out with a new frame for the XLCR. And the next year, they used it on all the Sportsters. And I think this – I forget what this guy wants for it, but uh, – $2,200. is $2, dollars is a, a screaming deal for something – and I'm not going to do it because I have project bikes that I can't ever possibly finish. Yeah. But part of me went, oh, I want to do that. And so I'm kind of in that same mode of, man, pick up a, a Harley. You can do anything you want with it. You know, you want to fuel-inject yeah. it? Great. They make, you know, off-the-shelf fuel injection kits for Sportsters and stuff like that. So.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and the price is right. It's still – uh the ad is still active, so – it's still on there. Somebody well, I should say he hasn't deleted it if somebody's bought it. Um speaking of that, and Craigslist, uh my good buddy with the Tuano and the FC9, FCO9 and bunches of other motorcycles, he sold his FCO9. And timing was just right because I was surfing Craigslist, and he and I are the ones that have always daydreamed about buying a big land yacht BMW motorcycle, uh, you know, like a K twelve hundred LT. So I was surfing Craigslist the day that he sold his FCO nine, and I I came across a single owner, low mileage, thirty five thousand mile, two thousand five K twelve hundred LT. It sounded like it needed to go, like like now. Uh, and so, like four grand, <clears> thirty five hundred. <laughs> oh man, yeah. yeah. So your friend now so,
0: has a BMW. No,
2: oh. I, I don't think he got to it in time. Oh, uh, I mean, I found it just after it got listed. And um, he emailed the person, scheduled a showing for just like a few hours later. It was when he got off work. He had the cash in hand, and then just never could get a hold of the person again. So oh, um, the 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 ad is still up, but I'm guessing they probably got rid of it and just haven't deleted the ad. Which is it's just such a shame because 3,500 bucks, 35,000 miles. Gold. It's a 2005, and in that year, um, they're all the same bikes, but they upgraded the dash and gauges and all that. So it's like, it's the one you want. Uh, I, buddy- I I really wanted him to get that bike so I could live vicariously through him. I told him, next time we go on a long-distance ride, I'm not even going to ride. I'm going to sit on the back of that sweet hog. <laughs> does,
1: your, does your buddy want to trade the uh, Tuano for a very fast 95 supercharged Mustang?
2: He probably almost would. But that would be, I don't know. Cause, I don't I get, cause so. at
1: this point, like I literally could not get anyone to buy that damn car and yeah. uh you know kind of like you're talking about with the TX750 i'm asking 9 grand for it and i've got yeah. over 20 into it
2: yeah <laughs> you know you know i think it's crazy that you haven't gotten rid of that car because it just seems like such a desirable thing that like built- that, that's that's cheap fun for what it is that's really and cheap fun
1: the problem is is that i built it exactly how everyone would want to build it except they didn't get to build it yeah. and then you've got that whole mentality of you know, built, not bought. Yeah. So I think and, that's getting in the way.
0: And and I also think that that's the same thing on a lot of Harleys. Everybody customized the Harley, and then the next buyer looks at it and goes, Well, I wouldn't do that to it, and I wouldn't put that on it. Or even if they would, Well, you know,
2: they want to say they've made it theirs. But if you could buy it for 40 cents on the dollar, then heck, just. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, no, I, I, here's, here's the crazy. thing
1: we're rational people. Yeah. <laughs> that's the difference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh how's your FZ? Did you did you take care of your mechanical problems with the
2: Yeah. Yep, yep, it's all back to go uh going and it's on the road and everything works and I've actually um probably ridden it more in the last week than I have I don't, well any motorcycle in quite some time. I've been riding it quite a bit.
0: And are you so. happy with
2: it? Yeah. Well, I guess I am. if you're
0: selling the TX it probably tells me you've got well, something that you're happy with.
2: Yeah, you know, that's the thing is the the FZ everything with all new bikes, everything just works so much better. And it's just so much more pleasurable to ride it than it is the TX750. It's, you know, it it runs perfect. It's fuel injected. The brakes work. I mean, what more could you ask for? And it is darn fast. It is surprisingly fast. In fact, my friend was on his Tawano, I was on the FZ. And this was on a closed course with professional riders, air quotes, um, and we <laughs> raced from like second gear, um, up to, I don't know, about 145 miles an hour. And it was dead even the entire race, you know, from about 50 miles an hour up to 140. And, you know, that's a brand new Tuano. Uh, mine has been tuned and, and, and has some other things done to it, but yeah, an old FZ1. Is you know just about as fast old, as it is now. Again, Juano. old in
1: air quotes because it's a two thousand
2: seven eight. Right? eight, yeah, eight, yeah. I, that's still I think ten old, years old. I'm thinking old. the 90s. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: as as someone said when they were, I was looking on Motorcycle.com this morning and someone made a joke about um the Arma race at at Big Willow last weekend and there's like late nineties GSXR seven fifties racing. And, like, really? Yeah. These are racing as classics <laughs> now? I'm like, yeah. yeah, they're twenty years old.
2: That's yeah, that's sad. So, you know, his bike, um, you know, they're rated at 175. He's got full Akrapovic exhausts and the race ECU. I would guess mine, the, the FC ones are, uh, stated at 150. I would guess mine has 160 if I were going to guess with the improvements, but I also weigh a lot less than him too. So I think that that's where, um, the equality, uh, came into play. So. Uh, yeah, and then speaking of uh, racing, I think we're going to sign up for an all-day riding school for the racetrack and kind of get back into some track riding. Um, so, we'll probably end up doing that next month. So, that'll be something to talk about here pretty soon. I got to get a, a leather suit and some tall boots and, you know, the gloves that uh, strap around the wrist. So, I don't have any of that stuff anymore, but... I'm going to gather some a, stuff and hit the track.
1: What? Pete's, Pete's about an hour away from the uh, the closeout yeah. wholesale place.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, while uh, we're talking about that, too, uh, Pete, you just bought a modular helmet. Well, I shouldn't say just bought, but as far as a show is concerned, you just yeah, bought I a bought, modular I helmet. I bought the
0: showy uh, uh,
2: Neotech. Neotech, yeah.
0: It fits very different from my Nolan at the dealership, they put in the shallower cheek pads. Yeah. So that it gave you a little bit more room. It still is so much tighter on my cheeks, which is really good because Mm -hmm. it's so much quieter and so much less wind roar. But like, I have to take my glasses off to put it on or it'll pull my glasses down on my face, even with the modular front flipped open and stuff. So it, I haven't gotten used to it. And also we have not, messed with the new mesh communicators.
2: Oh the, the scala.
0: Yeah, the pack talk. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't had a chance to sit down and figure out how do we want to attach them to the helmets or anything like that. So I haven't had that hooked up in the helmet, so I haven't worn it all that much. Because we still have our old G fours, I guess they are, that work fine on our Nolans, so we're we can yeah. continue to
2: use those. Yeah, well the reason why I brought it up is because so I finally got an opportunity to use my Bell Star helmet and it's not going to work. <laughs> so I love the helmet. I love everything about it, except I cannot get the intercom speakers far enough away from my ears. So I even, Oh, they're um, pressing on your ears. Yeah. I, 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 I took every, the speakers, I took even the adhesive Velcro backed material off of the back of the speakers. I just put the thinnest double-sided adhesive tape on it and put them as deep into the ear pockets as humanly possible. And it's still just not going to work. So I'm going to put that helmet aside and probably replace it with a modular helmet. And so I've just started looking at different options for that. And so I, I think I'm actually kind of leaning towards the cycle gear brand built house one with a built in Senna uh intercom in it.
0: Is it a Senna? It, or I mean it's Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, I, yeah. The new one is Senna. Okay.
0: Cause I yeah. looked at it and it's a good price, and I thought in fact I was talking to Jim, who's been on the podcast, and uh I said to him, What do you think of these? And he said, you know, if they're selling it for a whatever it is, one hundred forty nine dollars or whatever, they're cutting corners somewhere. Yeah.
2: Well, this one, the one with the Senna is three thirty.
0: Okay, because they had one. They had one modular with a built in. It didn't. It was. It was a no name. Yeah, communicator. That's
2: just like a. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This this one is actually like a pretty decent quality helmet with a, a actual Senna, but it's also three hundred thirty dollars. But You know, that's the thing is my wife doesn't have any uh, intercom system in her helmet. So if I bought a modular helmet with it and integrated already, I could put my 20S in her helmet and then we'd both have intercoms. Right. Yeah. So I just got to go and try it on and see if it's worth wearing. So,
1: Um, We should give a a shout out to someone who's been a guest on the show, I think twice. And, uh, has his own show. Camden Tubbs. Uh, Brad Brunell is an officially licensed
2: motorcycle rider now. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Despite and, the- <laughs> did he take the test on his MB5? He
0: took the, no, he, he had, he was on a, he took the motorcycle rider, the, uh, oh, basic the course, rider course, course. Yeah. and, uh, was on a TU250 and locked the front brake on oh, the no. on the uh on the emergency. Threshold stop. breaking, yeah. Yeah, threshold breaking and uh did he go down? It. He endowed it right Oh over my the gosh. <laughs> what a goofball. Yeah, if you haven't listened to that, you, people who don't listen to Camden Tubbs, you should go find the episode where <laughs> from a week or two ago where he talks about being it there. And uh, they let him finish and he did fine and he said he was the one thing he missed at the end was the threshold breaking Because he was just a little bit timid about really cranking on that front brake lever, which is one of the reasons why I am a big proponent of ABS. Yeah. Yeah. It really does make a difference.
2: My wife and I went to a movie just a few weeks ago, and we were leaving and in the parking lot. uh, This guy on a motorcycle was riding through the parking lot, and I think like somebody was going to pull out on their car. And, and he just, just grabbed a handful of front brake and immediately went down. Mm. And, uh, you know, and it, it looked like it was probably just like a really inexperienced rider. And, you know, that's the, the instinct is to just grab the brake as hard as you can. And with ABS, nothing would have happened. Right. And, right. you know, and it's it's cool that most new bikes nowadays have the option or even come with it. But yeah, it's it's definitely worth having. And then I
1: think, well, well, I saw him out in California when we were both out there for the Toyota uh, Avalon and Corolla hatchback. So that's been a few weeks now. And he was talking about I don't know if he had done the deal or if he has done the deal since of buying like. An early '80s BMW GS from some guy out in mm-hmm. out in Reno who's had it sit in
0: his garage forever. I, I, yeah. It wasn't that old. It was an R100. Oh, was it an R100? Okay. Yeah, it it was like the I want to say like 2003, something like that. Oh, see, I was thinking it was like an '80s late no, no, '80s. No, no, it, no. It wasn't the the really old ones. The reason I know that is because the. Uh, Sales manager at work that handles Harley and, uh, you know, Polaris and all of those drives one. And I think his is a 96, 97, something like that. So, mm-hmm. Gary, you got uh, electronic ignition on your bike? Or uh, uh, Eric, mm-hmm. rather?
2: Yo, uh, yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, uh, no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, only because it has been
1: warm here for just about 10 days. <laughs> and and in those ten days I've had a few other things to do. In fact, I've actually had to work on my well, I didn't have to work well. I've had to start doing a couple things to my my daily just because I may have to go on a trip to Virginia here the next few days. So I just need to make sure everything on that's top spec or good enough spec to do that trip. So um yeah, and then over the weekend I wasn't feeling so hot. So uh yeah, it's I, I looked at it a few times, and I'm like, "Oh, I really should do it." Like, no, I got to do this, this, and this to the to the element. So,
2: oh, speaking of that, um, I forgot to tell you guys too that on my 750, I ended up getting a real TX 750 flywheel and got rid of the XS 400 flywheel, really? and had to redo the entire one way <laughs> starter bearing.
0: <laughs> now, did you still do the one that had more than three pauls to it? To...
2: yeah, yeah okay. i ended up utilizing a completely different bearing um it was out of a yamaha 450 cc quad um, but the bearing itself was really substantial m- more robust than the other one um and i ended up having to machine down just a little bit off of the actual hub for the gear that goes inside the bearing the part that the bearing grips too which was really difficult. I've never in my life machined metal so hard. Um, I only had to take a few thousandths off of it, but it was, it really was difficult. Um, and then repatterned the flywheel for the new bearing. But yeah, so I, I had to redo the entire <laughs> starter clutch just because I wanted a 750 flywheel on it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. And I'm not going to get any money out of it.
0: I was going to say that.
2: That's <laughs> I did all that smart. before I knew that I was going to sell it, but I got it all back together. And I just emotionally, I cannot handle one more thing going wrong with that bike. <laughs> and so now that everything is sorted out in my mind, it's going to stay that way and it's going to go to a new home and I'm never going to think about it again.
0: Yeah. So. We, uh, they had a stray cat that we had rescued, and it went to a new home. And they said, well, we'll give you an update. I went, nope. I always want to know yeah, yeah. the cat found a good home, and it was happy. So if it gets hit by a car next week, don't call yeah. and tell me. I want to always know, oh, that unfortunate cat finally got a real happy home, and, and that's all I ever want to know about
2: it. Yeah. Well, you know, with this 750, just because I ended up buying it back from the guy who bought it um last time, I almost thought about... Um, just like not even giving out my phone number, not meeting at my house and just erasing all <laughs> memory of it, and just so a person cannot come back to me when it has a problem because yeah, I'll like, probably end up buying it back, yeah is um, this your your new ride, Eric?
1: no, so these like someone offered me this as a trade for the mustang, yeah, and it, like it's a motorcycle. Yeah, but it's a motorcycle I have so little interest in. Like, I'm going like to say it's even...
0: a Suzuki M109. Yeah.
1: Something like that. But if you, it's got, uh, like fake, ostr- well, I can't say it's fake, but it looks like ostrich skin seat and boat metallic paint. Yeah.
2: yeah that's some pretty big flakes. It, it looks in straight the out of the, out of the 90s. 90s.
0: Yeah, I just. And the skull <laughs> and flames, uh, uh, radiator guard on it yep. and uh the big fake harley saddlebags on it but no so, fairing. it's it's a very odd thing
2: not to turn this into a four-wheeled podcast but it bring a trailer they just don't want to work with you on selling it they just, I, you just, guys just can't meet eye to eye i tried a year
1: ago with them to list it yeah and i put a price and they just said no they didn't even come back with like would you be willing to put your reserve at, you know, X?
2: So I'm gonna try again and, and see. Yeah, because it seems like that car could do pretty well on Bring a Trailer. I mean, that's it seems like that's exactly what they sell.
1: Yeah. The stuff like that. Yeah, but, but it's like bringing Someone offers weird. me a
2: Yeah. Well, and I uh my MGB, I sold it today. Uh and i i think that i probably could have got a whole bunch of money more money for it i think i really should have listed it on bring a trailer but i didn't even really like think about that option and i, I think i probably should have cuz now i'm looking at like some different mg's that have sold on bring a trailer and uh, yeah i i don't i think that i didn't do very well <laughs> selling it but whatever so-
1: up until this point, I have not been interested in trades. Or like, if someone offered me a trade, it was like, no. But yeah. it's it's this thing. It's like, oh, okay, someone's going to offer me. A, it's like, yeah, would you be interested in a motorcycle? I'm Like, well, it depends on what it is. And then I get this. I'm like, oh, please, because yeah. I don't even. It's not even like I could turn around and sell that, right? Yeah, because it's one thing to trade something that you That's think you can just wants turn around
2: to and trade.
0: Sell. Is he can't sell he it. can't
2: sell it either, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I would think that a blown mustang would be easier to sell than a suzuki m109 think. you but would think.
0: really tasteless i shouldn't say tasteless. <laughs> yeah um well it just
2: yeah remarkable
0: to customizing it's yeah definitely
1: unique yeah check check the show notes on hooniverse to see see it in all its glory
0: yeah I did manage to, in my workshop, get some things done. I have pretty, basically all the parts I need to put together the chassis for Bulltalkenstein. I got my, uh, Chinese tank for the S- CL125 and yep. remarkably the Jiling JL70 tank fits perfectly. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. I had to, fortunately the, the little rubber donuts, the mounting Grommets on the front are like 40 years old and really, really hard. So I could yeah. just take them to my bench sander and just kind of uh, make them yeah. a little bit smaller. And, and yeah. they, they just powdered up really nicely as I put them on the, yeah. on the belt sander. And so that went in the, the back little tang fit right in exactly where it needed to. So I was wow. thrilled that I was able to find that. The problem is because of the weirdness of my original tank and how the seat fit on it, the seat has to get mounted about an inch and a half farther back. So I'm going to have to do some thinking about how to mount that. I had a really great idea of, well, instead of messing with an original CL-125 seat, which is actually very rare in good condition, and mine doesn't have any tears, the foam is still good. I was like, man, I could probably sell this for a really pretty penny. Yeah. I'll just go out and buy one of those because all the, the base and the brackets and everything are all welded together on it. And I thought, Mm -hmm. rather than modify this, I'll just go out and get one of those, you know, $27 cafe seats on the plastic base that you can order from the Orient. And so I did that, and I got it, and it's exactly what you would expect for (laughs) (laughs) $27.95. it's not bad quality, but it's like three quarters the size that I thought it was going to be. I put on the bike and I was like, I was like,
2: yeah." I have gotten many things from China that like looked just right in pictures. And then you get it in person and like the dimensions are just like, not what you expect. Oh yeah. It's
0: it's like too short. And I looked at the, you know, the it's maybe got an inch of foam on it. You know, it's like, it's like, wow. Okay. This is, the proportions are right. It's just three quarters scale. So yeah. I was like, okay. So I don't know what I'm going to do about that. However, for the next at least two months, everything in my workshop has been pushed to one side. I, my wife and I were talking about our summer and between family, church, work, the house, vacation, uh, spider trips, stuff like that. It's like, okay. I know I'm not even going to get in the workshop for the next two months. So I went mm-hmm. down and all of the little things that I had laid out carefully on my workbench all got labeled and put in Ziploc bags, put in my, Good idea. put in my parts drawers and everything got moved to one side. To make room for some other stuff we needed to put in the garage. And it's like, you know what? It's just gonna be there for a couple months. So yeah. next month when we have the podcast, there will be no updates from me. I'm already telling everyone that. So. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, in theory, my TX750 will be gone and I'll probably have some new project then. And I need to the only one thing that I need to do to my FC1 is make the seat worth sitting on. Um it has a Corbin seat on it and the the padding is is quite thin but it's also like diamond hard um that and it has like the fake leather seating surface which is really slippery so i'm on the fence about what to do and maybe you guys will have an opinion i was thinking about taking the seat to an upholstery shop having them add just a small layer of of foam that has a a little bit more softness to it than what's underneath, and then just restitching the top with something a better material, yeah. I, I, or 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 what C Concepts, um, or some other equivalent. Um, they make a cover and, and a new foam that just goes on a C pan. And then
0: I, I will, I will say, my experience is you can, it's kind of like, uh, you know, buying anything that you can't test ahead of time yeah you're gonna get another one and it may not be any better the i was gonna say do the upholstery route just take it to an auto upholstery shop that's what they do you know you say i want three quarters of an inch of you know nice memory foam on top of it right give me a new cover that's either textured or you know the the neoprene grip stuff and let them do it yeah it'll be just what you want the first time out regardless of what hassle it is to take it someplace and have them do the work and wait for it to come back and regardless of what it yeah. costs you know you're going to get something back that's going to work
2: yeah okay i'm going to do that
1: what do you say, think can, eric can you uh, that that was an optionist and the, the nice thing about being local is you can kind of once they're done you can sit on it and you go or even before they put
2: the upholstery over it and kind of go yeah okay that'll work that's a good um, point because they can like maybe cut the foam and And, and sew the top. And before they actually like staple it on, I can put it on the bike and sit on it and see how I like it.
1: Yeah. The other, the other thing I was thinking, well, there's two other things. One, find a stock seat on eBay for whatever, 20 bucks, um, which might not be a bad thing while you sit while it's out. And then the, the third one would be, um, can you call Corbin and can they redo it more to your taste? Well, or is that not really worth the option?
2: But, I don't know if it's worth the hassle because I don't as far as like custom doing something it would probably a cost a fortune. Like hmm. probably as much as a C cost originally, which I think they're about 300 bucks. Yeah, they're not cheap. Yeah, and then, you know,
0: and why have somebody I, halfway across the country do it when you can go yeah. to an auto, auto upholstery shop and and actually have them say here here's the foam that we're going to put on it. We're going to do this. We're going to do and really talk it through with them live, right? With the seat right there.
2: I I do like a quarter mile from my house. I've got this upholstery shop and they're the ones that have redone like my MG seats and some other things. And so, yeah, I I think you've got a relationship with with a good shop. That's that's worth gold. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do that and report back. I went to the local Ducati dealer here the other day and looked at the new V4 Panigale,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which is so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And you know, this was I was talking to a a friend of mine who isn't a motorcycle rider, but he was making the point that it's really cool in in motorcycling how you can buy like the best of the best. I mean, like the pinnacle of motorcycling for twenty five to thirty thousand dollars, and in the car world, it's like two to three hundred thousand dollars. And so certainly not everybody can afford a $20,000 motorcycle, but you can afford it sooner than you would a $200,000 car. And so it is really cool that you can buy, I mean, the, the V4 Panigale is like, I think 24 grand, which is a lot of money. But if you think about it, it's really not that much money. I mean, it's, it's, it's remarkable in it's engineering. It looks beautiful. Um, but I, I was looking at their used bikes and they have the 1299R Panigale mm-hmm. and they have one it's got 1200 miles on it it was sold there new um and now they're selling it for 185 and so it's basically brand new i think it's a 2016 uh, 1299R and i was thinking who in a couple of years it I feel like maybe you could get the V4 Panigale for when well, they come 20. out with
0: something nicer and nobody wants this one because there's another generation out. Well, and-
2: you know what? I don't really care about I, I I would love to have the 1299. In fact, I don't I like really it's just a look at me bike because I could never ride it the way it's intended to be ridden. Um but the torque that the V4 makes is just remarkable. Um and the power curve on it. Uh I would love to have the V4 just for those reasons and and the sound of it too. Um, but yeah, a 1299 would be pretty awesome. Well, and the V4 also.
0: Any other top? Oh, we did have a, uh, a question on Facebook. I asked for some questions and, uh, Joshy Grossman's from Belgium. As a question, he said, uh, any advice on starting to ride on the track? Start with a small displacement bike, 125 to 100 or
2: 250cc or go for the 600s. R3. Being from
0: Belgium, big fan of the <laughs> podcast. Keep it up.
2: And, uh, buy a R3, start on it and end on it. Always.
0: <laughs> uh, funny. Funny you say <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Eric, you replied to him on, on Facebook. So why don't you, uh, take the reply?
1: Oh, okay. Well, you're gonna make me. <laughs> hold on, I'm, I didn't pull it up. So, uh,
0: you will... said you said KTM 390, yeah, yeah. Um, or that. So,
1: hold on. I can I can pull it up here really quickly. KTM really 390,
0: quick. Kawasaki Ninja 300 or 400, and Yamaha R3 were what got mentioned. Uh,
2: so, and that that reminds me about a recent uh, motorcyclist. Um, I think that they did a YouTube video where they compared some different bikes. And they ended up um, comparing the RC390 uh, and the new Ninja 400. Right. I think they were like the same price, um, almost equal in terms of performance. Um, and like re- really on paper, like really similar. Uh, but the KTMs, they noted um, they may or may not have a reputation for engine failures. Um no, they have a reputation
0: for engine failures.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Whether it's deserved um, or not may be the debate, but right. uh, they
0: definitely have it.
2: In in I don't know about the Kawasaki, but it would be my belief that it's probably less likely to have uh habitual engine failures um but that might not be a bad option either is the that ninja 400 just because it's got a little bit more power than the R3 I think that
0: if if it's not going to be specifically a track bike and you want to have it street legal and you do want to ride it on the road I think the ninja 400 is is miles ahead as far as refinement comfort streetability yeah all that kind of stuff on the track I'm not sure
2: on the track, I would lean towards the R3 just because of the availability of track parts for it, track bodywork, um, and upgrades and improvements. Um, I think it, for me, a lot of it would depend on who's my local dealer and yep. what is he going to
0: give me a, uh, a deal on. You know, if they've yep. got one of last year's, of any, you know, maybe a Ninja 300 from last year sitting on the floor that they're going to blow out at 20% off MSRP, that's what I'm getting. Especially yeah. if like, it's a good dealer that I know is going to, you know, give me support after the sale, that would. Yeah, that like, would. like I mentioned on the on the last show, though, there's a KTM dealer around here blowing out um,
1: RC390s and 390 Dukes for like four grand with like zero percent financing or 0.9 percent financing yeah. for 48 months. So, yeah, um, being that he's in um, the Netherlands, you know, I would think that he's a little KTM might be a little better than here in the States. But, yeah, you know, um, well, right, So I, I pulled it up here. It says, I would look at the KTM 390, Kawasaki 3, Ninja 3 or 400, and the R 3 if you're thinking new or lightly used. And lightly used is always a, a, a really good option. Um, all are excellent. The, K, the KTM has supposedly fixed the issues they were having with the 390s up through the 2016 model year. These are great bikes to build skills without bankrupting yourself. Tires should last you more than a few track days or race days. Other consumables will be fairly modest. The biggest thing you can learn with smaller displacement bikes is smoothness and cornering speed. With larger yeah. displacement bikes, you are more likely to grip it and rip it on a straight to make up for lack of cornering speed. If this is to be a dedicated track bike, then look for a used one that someone else has already done all the prep work on. It will save you loads of time and money.
2: Yeah. Track bikes do out wear really; they wear out really quickly, but typically the person is selling it at a pretty significant loss because there's so much money that goes into prepping them for track use. And, um, and so, by,
0: I want to stress prepping it for track use is safety wiring it. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. You don't want to buy somebody's heavily modified bike. Yeah. You want the quick and dirty, Keep it as stock as possible. Get something that's, that's reasonably, you know, maybe it's got an Nolan's rear shock on it or something like that. But the guy who's, you know, changed the steering geometry and, uh, you know, came up with his own carb manifold and stuff, you want to run away from that. Yeah. Unless you're yeah. Garrett and then you're going to just machine all that stuff over again <laughs> yourself. So. Yeah, no
2: kidding. Yeah. Um, I know that if I were going to get into track riding, like, with the entry-level bike, I would get an R3 if it were me. That's my suggestion. If you blow up the motor, you can find another one super easy. Yeah. <laughs> True. There's there's tons of them, and they're cheap. And and yeah. to Pete's
1: point about the Ninja 400, um, they're already in the World uh, Super Sport series for those and, and a couple other series trying to run all kinds of restrictions on the Ninja 400s just because they've got so much more power than the 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 ktm and the uh uh, and the yamaha and even like the canadian series they just released their rules and like you essentially have to run like a stock pipe on the ninja 400 (laughs) you know and i think they're like even talking like uh rev limiters lower than the stock rev limiter to to power yeah yeah Hmm. i would like to do it but i'm finally now where i can just about go to the gym and start working out again because my shoulders finally starting to work. So yeah, good. And one other announcement I should have guess we should have done this at the beginning. Um, this year, I, I it was about oh, just about a week ago I officially signed on to do three of the five dates uh, for the Canadian uh, Superbike Series. Oh cool! As the uh, track announcer. I was going to yeah.
0: say you're doing them means announcing them, not actually yes. <laughs> doing <Yes>. them.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is probably better, safer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, if, if I would do it, I do have the since I do have that you know super sport class. Uh, I would be racing in that if I could because I know someone I could who's got a R three that I could probably work and deal with. But you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'm doing three of the five races. Uh, one of them is in the re- the two that I am not doing are uh, one is in Quebec, and since I don't speak well, they don't really speak French in in uh, Quebec. They speak Quebecois. Um, <laughs> as anyone who speaks French will tell you. And um, so that's not really necessary for me to be there or couldn't really do it. And then the other one is in Nova Scotia. Uh, and that's like a 19-hour drive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, And or that or a flight is like 800 bucks. So yeah. it's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd love to do it because everyone talks about how great it is and what a great atmosphere it is. But I'm just like, yeah, I have I to can. say, I have spent
0: yeah. time in Halifax and would love to go back. I thought it was just... Really That's where really the track fun. is. Yeah, I'd I'd love to spend some more time in that city. It's it's kind of a hidden gem. Yeah. Uh speaking yeah. of racing, I have to say I am taking an interest for really positive and really negative reasons taking an interest in MotoGP this year more than I have in over a decade. Yeah. And the racing has been really phenomenal. The drama, the personnel, uh <laughs> yes, there's been a lot of unflattering drama. Um, But uh without going into a whole long discussion about racing, because we're already at 48 minutes, I will simply say, we'll have to spend some time talking racing later on in the season yeah. to see how if things continue to be as um exceptional as they have been this year.
1: Yeah. And sorry, one last thing to throw in here too, because this I just I saw this yesterday on Twitter and then I got an official press release uh from Chris Johnham today. Um at oh, where are they doing it in Owensboro? someplace. uh so they're unveiling a Nikki Hayden statue. Oh really? In in Owensboro, and it's gonna be a statue of him uh from the victory lap at Laguna where he's standing on the pegs yeah. uh with the American flag. And um See if I can find the press release if I didn't delete it yet from Chris. Doo-doo-doo. I think I deleted it, unfortunately. All right? It's probably in my trash, but anyways. Uh, but anyways, um, like the whole family's going to be there and everything, and like his whole family's like super excited about it, which very um, cool. You know, honoring and so yeah, I thought that was kind of a cool thing.
0: Yeah. When this goes live on the fifteenth, Smack dab will be less than. Uh, six weeks away. I'll, we'll have one more podcast before that happens, but uh, unfortunately, we're probably going in a uh, Toyota Sienna minivan so that I can bring a PA system to the start. So we're going to go ride up on our Spiders, and I won't be going on the trip this year, but we are going to see everybody off and, and do the riders meeting beforehand, but there's going to be enough people there. I think I need a real PA system, and I can't fit that on my Spider, so. Mm. yeah. And uh, unless you guys have anything else, we can wrap it up. I think I'm I'm good for me. Okay, well, that's another monthly episode in the bag. Uh, This will go live on the 15th. Talk to everybody next month. So long.
2: See ya.